Hello, I'm Lisa Smazarski, Editor-in-Chief of Stylist, and welcome to our new podcast, Stylist Live Sessions, recorded at our annual Festival of Inspiration. In this episode, you're going to hear from writer, broadcaster, and consummate book lover, Pandora Sykes, who's in conversation with my brilliant stylist colleague, Susan Riley. In this session, Pandora talks about her passion for literature, shares the behind the scenes on her career, and creates the ultimate reading list. As this session is recorded live at the Truman Brewery, you might hear a bit of background noise, but here's what Pandora Sykes had to say. So our next guest is a journalist and writer, as you know, because she sat on stage next to me, who has made a name for herself as an arbiter of good taste, who also has her finger on the literary pulse. This has seen her take place as a judge on the Women's Prize for Fiction 2022 and release her brilliant book of essays, How Do We Know We're Doing It Right, about the anxieties of modern life, of which we all know there are many. She's also a podcasting force from the dearly departed The High Low to the recent and very addictive Unreal, A History of Reality TV. Her latest accomplishment is the book What Writers Read, which brings together 35 writers from Benjamin Zephaniah to Dolly Alderton to talk about the books that shaped them. So it seemed only fitting that we invite her to day one of Stylist Live to talk us through the most important books that have shaped her own life from the high and the low, classics to contemporary. Um, after we've finished chatting, um, Pandora will be heading over to the Waterstone stand just over there so um, to sign copies of her new book, which is the most charming, dinky little tome ever and a brilliant Christmas gift. Um, so do go over there, um, just stand by the rope after the chat if you please join me in welcoming Pandora Sykes. Okay, so first question is about the power of reading. Um, obviously, you are someone that prioritizes reading. Um, when did you realize that it was such like a massive part of your life and importance, and how do you feel if you don't get to read? Firstly, thank you for having me. And that was, I realized afterwards when I sat down that I probably should have come on after you introduced me rather than just sitting here while you were doing it. But thank you, thank you so much for having me. Um, when did I realise? It was never actually a conscious thing. I've just loved reading and read a lot since I was tiny. And I am the youngest of four children. And I'm one of those people I know we're now obsessed with if you're an extrovert or an introvert. But I was one of those people when I was, you know, around people I would be loud and enjoyable, but I needed and I still need as much as possible with children a lot of time on my own. And what I loved about books is that I could just hide with one. And normally at some point, one of my siblings would be like, come and join in, you know, why are you being so boring? Um, and all my memories of when I'm little is just like trying to find a little bit of time or somewhere where I could hide with a book. So it's just always been where I go to um, feel safe and feel replenished and restored. And I think what I love about books is unlike when I'm listening to a podcast or watching TV, my mind can't wander. You have to be fully immersed in someone else's story. And I just, I love being outside of yourself. Mm. 
what are your tips? Because I have to say, I have not read a great deal recently. I just can't seem to get in the zone. I can't seem to focus. The pile next to my bed is like growing ever rapidly. There's so much great stuff out there, but I just can't sit down and focus. What is your advice for carving out that time if you do find it hard to, to do that? I think I get asked this a lot along with, but how do you read so much you have young children? And I totally get it. And I, but I think what the answer is, is the reason why I can carve out time for reading is because there's loads of things I'm not carving out time for. You know, I don't cook remotely elaborate meals. Um, I have, you know, for lunch I had a baked potato with baked beans. <laughs> like, I really don't prioritise cooking, and, and I should. I, it's always one of my New Year's resolutions, to, you okay. know, cook healthy, to cook healthy home-cooked meals. So I don't spend a lot of time on cooking, which saves me, what, an hour every evening, potentially. Um, my husband and I don't sit down on a weeknight for a meal because after a long day of work and little children, we actually really just want time on our own to do the things we love. So he wants to watch reruns of Friends and I want to read. Does he? Yes. Interesting. And Sex in the City. Okay. Um, that's, you... <laughs> that's his happy place. So he doesn't read at all. Okay. Um, I think the last book he read was my last book. Right. And it took him like a year and I literally sat over him making him read it. I can't, I'm not even going to bother to get him to, to try and make him read that. You know, he really, really doesn't like reading, which is fascinating for me as an obsessive reader. Um, because obviously I, I have had to learn to understand that reading doesn't bring to everyone what it does to me. So I don't spend time cooking and I don't, and this is not something to be proud of, but I, I don't really do much exercise. Okay. I walk. So if you're going to the gym every day or if you're cooking lovely meals every day, that's probably the time that I spend on reading. Okay. Um, and I don't think you can do Everything. all of them. So yeah. You've got to pick. You've got to just zone You've got to pick. And that's not even a conscious or, like, worthy choice. It was literally the choice I made before I even realised it was a choice. Okay. And I flirted with trying to... I mean, famously, you know, you can't have, like the work, health, family, friend it's balance. It's golden triangle, yeah. Yeah, you just can't have, you can't have them all at once. Um, so I think probably selfishly I choose reading over, well, not my family, because when they're really little, that, <laughs> you can't really yeah. choose that, but over a lot of other things. Okay, we're all thinking now, okay, so we can't read, we don't, I don't go to the gym, I don't cook elaborate meals either, I need to just focus on, on, on something. But and maybe box sets, because there <laughs> okay. are so... You could watch TV ad infinitum now, so yeah. that's probably also competing with for a lot of people's... Yeah. And I do watch TV, but I don't watch it every night because I'm really overstimulated, so that's why I read, probably. I, I'm just dying to know which episode of Friends your husband <laughs> likes the most, to be honest, before we go on to the next question. Um, what are you reading right now? Let's get into the recommendations. I'm reading loads of different books at the same time, which I don't really recommend. Um, I always try and read one fiction and one non-fiction. I love them both okay. equally, and I feel like they engage really different parts of my brain uh, and my imagination. But at the moment, I'm actually reading quite a few. I'm reading Raising Boys by Steve Biddulph, which is like apparently the seminal text on 
raising boys. Uh, what it says <laughs> I feel on like the tin, I need, yeah. I need, I need some help. Um, I am reading a couple of proofs. I'm reading a proof by Nisha Dolan, who wrote Exciting Times, which I absolutely loved. And that is called, I called it Happy Ending the other day, and it's not, it's called Happy Couple. Oh, okay. So it's different. So Happy Couple, um, it's really good. For anyone that loved Exciting Times, they will love that. Um, I am reading, I've just finished another one of the Tales... Tales of the City, which is like a nine-book series by Armistead Morpin. I don't actually know how to say his surname. Okay. All set over the 80s and then goes into the 90s and up to like early noughties. That's brilliant. Um, there's a bunch of others. Okay. But I, <laughs> I hope everyone's wanna... making notes. It's basically your reading list for the next five years. Um, going back right to the start then, childhood, um, what was the first book or series of books that you remember being obsessed with? I think mine was Mallory Towers. Um, there was a lot of midnight feasts, etc. Tell me what yours was. Ina Blyton as well, I think for lots of children in the 60s, 70s, 80s, probably lots of us are, are Ina Blyton. And um, mine was the, what's it, the faraway tree, the magical faraway yes. tree? Um, and then I also read all of her, yeah, all of her short stories, Mallory Towers, the St. Clair ones, the famous five. But it's really funny because to me, she is the biggest author in my childhood, um, along with a bit of Roald Dahl. Uh, and then later, some Jacqueline Wilson. But my mum introduced my daughter recently to Ina Blyton. And obviously she hasn't, she's one of those authors that hasn't fared terribly well, you know, all sorts of not very nice things about her since yeah. come out. But I was interested to see what the actual books were like. And my husband was like, God, they're so boring. They're really repetitive and they're really censorious. You know, there's always like a boy that has never had a bicycle because, well, he never did anything good, so why should he have one? <laughs> and it's actually like a really horrible thing to read. And so, I mean, that just shows how far children's and YA literature mm. has, um, has come, but also so amazing that something that... <laughs> provided me with so much like comfort and the imagination in it now like doesn't quite land it's quite sad in a way um what about was there a book that was pivotal to your adolescence again i'm thinking back to the um forever was i was um, about to say that basically our it was all right like, it was it was well thumbed in the school library let's just say that oh god that still makes me slightly shiver yeah michael had a mole i remember that michael had a mole and glasses <laughs> Ooh. yeah forever obviously um jilly cooper actually that was my sex education jilly cooper I read them way too young because I had older sisters. So I read them when I was like 10. And I remember asking my mum what a word meant that I can't repeat on stage. And she was like, I don't know, I've never heard of it. Um, was she lying? I think she must have been okay. because it's not the most unusual word. Um, so Jilly Cooper was huge for me. And actually, uh, she's still one of my comfort authors. And I uh, voiced voiced, read uh, an audiobook for her last year, which was a really like special, it was a really special moment because she had meant so much to me. But also I was just so, you know, like the lack of tact. I used to, I went to a Catholic girls school and I used to take her in, not literally, and read it <laughs> under my desk in like RE classes. I just couldn't get enough of it. Um, and to, I was constantly getting it confiscated. So Julie Cooper and Jacqueline Wilson. Jacqueline Wilson was big. Not as big for me as, as Julie Cooper. Um, but yeah, Judy Bloom, amazing. Mm. Yeah, I wonder how they stand up. 
I want to go back and reread. Been, let's all read that. That's how we Let's weekend. read Judy Blume. Jackie Wilson, weekend, I'm sure, homework. is still amazing, but mm. I don't I don't know about Judy. Ralph. Ralph still has to hold up. <laughs> I've got to get that joke in. Um, <laughs> you talked about that you like to read a, a non-fiction and, and fiction. Is yeah. there a specific genre that you love, like, please tell me it's something wonderfully tacky. Like, so for example, if you were going to go on holiday, what would be your first kind of like thing that you'd pack? Oh, um, if I go on holiday, it's normally a mix. I'll normally take some proofs of stuff that's coming up and I will always take, I'll take a couple of, I'll take a couple of nonfiction. Weirdly, like when I buy a pool, I actually really like reading sort of psychology or pop science. I find it, I like the contrast mm. of reading something quite um, nerdy, I suppose, being in a really relaxed environment. Um, I don't really take specific, like, pool reads. I might take, like, really chunky books because I... Another way that I get lots of reading is I don't do emails when I'm on the tube. I always take okay. a book. Um, but you can't take a massive book. So I will always take a couple of huge books... Um, because if I'm on holiday with the children, then we're not really going out at night, so it's great. I mean, I don't really go out at night that much anyway <laughs> at the moment. But So it's always a good opportunity to do, like, three hours of reading. And night. also, you know, you want people to think you're a bit clever by the pool as well, don't you? I think so. I don't, I don't know if that <laughs> succeeds. Um, I know it's really hard to pick any kind of all-time favourite book, um, and I know that you asked a really hard task of 35 I did. I'd hate that if someone asked uh, me that. writers to kind of say, right, come on, what, if you had asked yourself to write an essay in this book, what would you have chosen? I know. I think it serves them right for being really successful as they have to answer Indeed. hard questions. Um, well, I mean, sort of ostensibly, I was meant to do that, but instead I ducked out of it a bit in my introduction and just said, because Fatima Bhutto, I don't know if it was intentional. I want to think it's intentional. She didn't write about her favourite book. She wrote about her bookshelf because okay. it's a fool's errand to choose one. So I chose, I think I chose like five. You did mention a few. Yeah, you yeah I do like mention a, a few. List. I, I can't give you an all-time favourite, but I'll try and give you, like, four. Okay, That's great. The, the least I can give you. So they're ones that have just really changed me, which is really what we wanted the book to be, to be about books that changed the authors or, you know, were incredibly seminal in some way. So Goodnight, Mr. Tom, which is a children's book. I read that when I was 10 by Michelle Magorian um, about a little boy in the war. That has just always stuck with me, and I remember I read it in one day. Um, we need to talk about Kevin actually Good really one. had an impression on much more than none of her other books have had an impression on me like that but it was just so I mean it still makes me sort of want to throw it up and I think it, it stayed with me just like the shockingness mm. of literature um, what other, oh, The Unbearable Lightness of Being by Milan Kundera that was the first bit of philosophy that I'd ever read that that was the first bit of non not non-fiction because he's obviously not he's not non-fiction but the first time I had thought I think beyond fiction and it was after reading Milan Kundera that I then became interested in kind of pop science and pop psychology and um other 
other areas like that. Um, One Day by David Nichols, because mm. it is just the perfect. I think what I love about it is there's always this determination in publishing to split books into commercial and literary. And actually, a lot of the time, they're both. And I think One Day is the perfect example mm. of a book that's written beautifully, obviously has that stunning twist, uh, but sold, I don't think he sold like five million of it, probably, by now, something like that. Um, so there's four. Okay. I could go on for ages, but it's I'm aware li- of time. It's a good list. It's a good list. And do you get people wanting recommendations all the time? Like, is it slightly annoying? Am I irritating you now? <laughs> no, um, not at all. Um, I'd like to know what the most recommended book is. Like, what, what's the one book that you recommend over anything else if people are asking for a tip? Interesting. So the books I get asked the most about, actually, are Grief. Okay. Um, and that was always what we were asked the most about on, on the high-low as well. Um, I guess it's because it's such an incredibly disruptive, discombobulating time. And for a lot of people, it, if it's your first um, experience of grief, it might be that you just don't know where to start. You, you know, you've never read a book by that. So I kind of always have a list on my phone of books that I recommend to someone when they ask for that. Um, I'm trying to think what else I get. I don't really, I, I don't really, I'm not really sure. I probably don't check my messages enough because I now can't what really it, I mean, that's, they will be quite interesting to hear. Can you remember any of the ones for grief that you recommend? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, grief is the Thing with Feathers by Max Porter. Um, oh, what's the Joan Didion one? Heart. Uh, Anyone? Joan, Shout Joan out. Didion one. <laughs> yes, The Year of Magical Thinking, which I always mix up with. I think there's another nice. book called The Year of Magical Drinking, so you have to be quite careful <laughs> not to mix those up. I can't remember who that's by. Um, Isaac and the Egg is a new one by Bobby Palmer about a 30-year-old man who loses his wife, uh, which is a great... It, that's a great novel I think that addresses kind of young marital loss there's a really great one by two women um, about this is so annoying I, I've got the list on my phone two women about losing their mothers but having very different relationships with their mothers one of the women is called Robin one of them is very close to their mother and the other was estranged from their mother and that's incredibly interesting I think for the kind of how different a grief is when you were already grieving them mm-hmm. when they were alive uh, grief works by Julia Samuel I think is just phenomenal and that's the book that I've sent most people in my life. Okay. And Carrie Ad Lloyd's got a new book out. Can't remember the title of it, but she does Griefcast, which is a brilliant podcast about grief. And she's got a new book either just out or about to come mm-hmm. out. And I've read a little bit of that, and that seems great. You don't need your phone, do you? You've got that. Well, I, it wasn't very helpful, the one about two mothers <laughs> and one's called Robin. Um. <laughs> They'll find it. Google. Google throws so. up everything. Um, has there been a book that has kind of changed your approach to how you live your life in any way or made you think, hmm, that's really going to affect how I view things? Loads, yeah. But probably actually all non-fiction. The book You Wish Your Parents Had Read by Philippa Perry, I found absolutely life-changing and a lot of people in my life seem to have had a similar response. Uh, really helped my parenting and definitely made me look at... Um, my parents different, differently. And one I read recently, actually, has been 
really influential my thinking called The Expectation Effect by David Robson. He's a science writer and he writes about how the predictive brain can change outcomes. So, for example, if you have a negative view of aging, you are likely to die seven years earlier than if you have a positive one. <laughs> oh. For various reasons. And these are not like... It's not like... Um, it's, it's all based on, like, robust scientific studies. I love so aging. the studies love are it. amazing. <laughs> um, so books like that. We Need New Stories by Nazarene Malik. That really, really changed the way I looked at kind of cultural myth and the stories we tell ourselves about society. It's like a really, really smart academic book. Um, she's also a journalist for The Guardian, and I love her work. So, yeah, quite often, I suppose, it would be maybe journalists who work I love, and then they... Right. write something long form and it just really changes the way I look at probably how I move through the world. I mean, do you look specifically, a lot of people do like the self-help genre and they buy things to provide the answers to specific things. Is that something that you adhere to or just you're finding the wisdom tucked away in, in bigger conversations, I guess? I actually never specifically look for something uh, except occasionally about parenting. Other than that, it's just books that I've come across that I've then found interesting. Like, I'm always interested in reading books about happiness. There's so many, and they're almost always yellow. Like, I've got, like, a whole bookshelf, whole shelf in my bookshelves of yellow books. I do colour coordinate. It is apparently psychopathic. What are you going to do? Um, but I, I... Self-help is a funny one, isn't it? Because I always think that, oh, I do read a lot of self-help. That must be what I like. But actually, that whole kind of self-help... Like, um, kind of the Brene Brown stuff is not really me. <clears throat> so I don't know if it's necessarily self-help or it's more books that have um, come from, like, a specialist area. So, like, written by a dietitian or an epidemiologist or a sleep scientist. I like books that are kind of rooted in Fact. data. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So one of my favourite parenting books is Crib Sheet because I think there's so much myth around how to parent and oh if you breastfeed your child will live to 150 and if you do this you know there's a lot of that whereas what I love about this book is it's literally just the data and then you make your decisions based off that and I found, I found that and generally I find data really clarifying. Okay. And um, what about comfort? What books do you turn to for comfort? Can be anything. Could be cookbooks. Could be, could be anything. Well, it's not cookbooks, as we've established. Um, although I do actually quite like flicking through cookbooks sometimes, but, yeah, I don't go to and them for comfort. And never cooking anything on them. <laughs> uh, Jilly Cooper. I have a whole upstairs. I have, I'm always trying to build new bookshelves. I've just run out of spaces um, because I have to be super disciplined about the books I keep. But I have upstairs... Um, that is my comfort bookshelf, and that has Jilly Cooper, Jill Mansell, and Marianne Keys. And so if I'm in a insomnia um, patch and I once was in a bad patch of insomnia and I read oh what was it The Push do you remember that book that came out last year I didn't read that oh, it, obviously as we've established I've read nothing in the last year so it's like a terror it, it's like an awful it's like a mum horror story basically okay and it just completely screwed me up reading that on no <laughs> sleep so now I'm not allowed to read like creepy books anymore when I can't sleep it's just books that I've read before that take place in like a village okay. or not that Marianne Keys does actually she's she's got you know lots of issues in her books but generally they're books that I've read before okay. and I just find 
Yeah, and really Rupert, Rupert Campbell Black is on there, and it's and it's all <laughs> fine. Um, is there a book that you wish you'd written, and why? Why would you choose that particular book? No, there's no book I wish I had written because it would just be so ludicrous for me to imagine that I could have written it. Uh, no, <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, and what one book should everyone in this audience read that was released this year? Oh, that was released this year. Okay, 2022. Um, I really, really loved and keep thinking about Tomorrow, Tomorrow and Tomorrow, which is a book by, um, I don't know how to pronounce her surname awfully, Gabrielle Zevin, um, might okay. be Zevin. And it's about... Uh, two teenagers who meet in a hospital and then turn out to be obsessed with gaming and build an incredible gaming company. I'm not into gaming at all, but it did the most amazing job at taking you into this world and showing the kind of unity and compassion and it's just really, really unique. I'm not really selling it because it's like really hard to sell. <laughs> but a very easy title to remember. And a great cover. Okay, what's on the cover? Tomorrow, tomorrow, and tomorrow. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> With some colourful things. It's not yellow, is it? It's not yellow. And um, what's next on your to-read pile? Like, do you have a, uh, a pile to accomplish once you've gone through? Well, I've got the sort of 10 books I'm reading at the moment on the bedside table, and then on the radiator, I have, like, the next 10, and then after that, it's the bookshelf outside, which has got, like, the next 30. So I, like, okay. shuffle my priorities. Okay. Um, uh, what have I got on the radiator? A lot of books that I need to finish, so Less by Sean Greer, uh, A Man Called Ove, which I know is a massive bestseller and came out a few years ago. I need to finish that. I need to finish Shuggy Bane. Um, what else is on there? I'm trying to read a lot of books that I feel like I should have read and never got round to. So there's some Doris Lessing on there. There's some Laurie Moore. Um, I've got a book by Alan Hollinghurst on there. I think it's called In the Line of Beauty. I buy a lot. Where I can, I buy books secondhand. Okay. And I'm trying to read less of books that aren't out yet because you get sent a lot of proofs as a journalist yeah. which is lovely but it means that I'm always like chasing this invisible dragon rather than necessarily reading books that have already been published of which there are so many wonderful ones I've never read yeah. so the radiator is mainly books that I bought off world of books or ebay which is a way more um affordable way to buy them and also nicer you get great like really old covers yeah the radiator sounds like a very special place <laughs> well the other day someone was like can't believe you keep them on a radiator and i was like well i don't ever turn it on so not anymore <laughs> not, i mean but also never never you can't have a hot bedroom uh so yeah so that's where they so they're triaged basically right. I, and do you owe anybody any books like you borrowed i'm very bad at borrowing and never returning. Um, I know. That's shocking. a very annoying thing to do. I know. I've got a few. I'll return them after this chat. Um, do you owe any of, you know, the people who wrote for you in this book, do you owe any, anyone any books back? I don't owe anyone any books. I lend out books all the time. Every time anyone comes over, I'm like, are you looking for a book? What are you looking for? You know, this shelf. Um, but no, I don't tend to borrow books, actually. I huh. tend to... I tend to buy them secondhand, yeah. Or um, sometimes I might borrow one off my sister, but no, I just, no, I don't really. But I lend. Um, that's very kind. Don't lend one to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
maybe in the, the last couple of questions, it'd be great to talk about writing. I'm sure lots of people have interest in kind of, or are halfway through a book. Everyone's started a book. Um, and, you know, you had a really nice quote in this book, which was, these people are good writers because they've read so much and such rich things. Um, so what's the kind of best advice about writing and what are your biggest learnings about writing after the things that you've written yourself? I don't think it's necessarily like a rule that if you're a writer you have to be a big reader, but it definitely seemed to be something that everyone I was approaching for the book had in common. Um, I do think that reading widely helps your writing, if only to, to figure out what you think your voice is or the kind of story you want to tell. I'm not a novelist, so I think maybe my relationship with kind of writing and reading is a bit different. Um, I suppose what I love doing in all my work is kind of curating, mm -hmm. is bringing things... I, you know, I love recommending stuff and I love talking about people's work that I love, so I guess reading more widely allows me to do that in my writing. But I think if you want to write fiction, then you can do nothing better than reading lots of novels. I mean, there's one essay in there by, um, I think it's Caleb Zuma Nelson, and he wrote, um, he was writing, when he was writing his debut novel, he said he just, he, he's, he was obsessed with Zadie Smith, and he realized he'd basically rewritten NW badly. So anyway, he then, did, you know, he then ended up writing his own great book, Open Water, and Zadie Smith complimented him on it. It was all very meta, and he said, you know, have you seen at the beginning, there's a quotation from NW, and she sort of demurred and was like, no, 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 this is, this is all your own. Um, and obviously what he said is, you know, you have to rewrite and rewrite and rewrite, and the finished, the finished book to a lay reader might have nothing in common with NW, but he feels like he owes... N.W. and Zadie Smith everything because it gave him the courage to write about London the way he wanted to write. So I, I guess it's pretty essential um, to read other people's work. Maybe some people write in a vacuum. True geniuses. Mm. What? Mm. How many of those do we know? <laughs> um, and final question, what would you love to write next? Oh, um... I'm trying to think what I'm working on. I, I'm going to launch a newsletter, which I'm really looking forward to, actually, because I had... About um, books or... Yeah, about books and articles I've loved and other kind of bits and pieces. I'm going to launch that in January. Because I just... I realised that I'd always had... I had a column in the Sunday Times style where I was recommending things, mainly fashion, obviously, because it was a fashion column. And then I had the high-low where we were recommending things. And now I always want to recommend stuff, but it's always on social media. And I have quite a sporadic, relation, sporadic relationship with social media. So I thought it would just be... So, and also people go, oh, I missed that story. So I thought it'd be really nice to have a place where it's just all the things that I think are great. Um, and I'm working on a TV documentary idea. Um, and I've got a books podcast starting next month with a novelist, which I'm Amazing. excited about. Yeah. We'll be tuning in for more recommendations. <laughs> um, thank you so much. The list of the recommendations that you've given, I hope someone was recording that or noting them all down on your phone. Um, thank you so much. Pandora's going to be heading over to Waterstones, as I said before, to sign her book, What Writers Read. Please join me in giving Pandora a very warm round of applause. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. How 
good was that? Now, given that some of my favorite books are on Pandora's list, I'm definitely going to add tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow to the pile by my bed too. If you want to share your thoughts on Susan and Pandora's conversation, visit stylist.co.uk or follow us at Stylist Magazine on social. And don't forget to subscribe to Stylist Live Sessions to hear more of our inspiring talks. We've got the one show's Alex Jones, philosopher Alan de Botan, author and comedian Adam Kay, Ben Cotton, and many, many more. Thanks so much for listening.